right, I want to invite you to take God's Word and turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, last week I introduced to our entire church a future vision for our church that we are working on and laying out in this focus series, and I've been grateful for uh, the response. Thank you so very much for your notes of encouragement, texts, emails, conversations in the hallways, and just as a reminder, this series is going to go for the next three weeks, and it has both corporate and personal elements to it. That's why we're calling it Focus, for yourself, for our church, and for the future. Now, we encapsulated uh, what we are going to be focusing on for the foreseeable future in a statement last week, and we said this is what we want to be about, that if we're going to have a maximum impact for the gospel, not only in our generation, but for future generations, this is what we have to be about. We have to be about keeping the main thing, the main thing, and we encapsulated that main thing in a statement that we are going to be laser focused on, and here is the statement, Champion Force advances the kingdom. And we worked this out last week. If you missed, I really encourage you, go online and you can download the notes that I preach from, you can listen to the message, do it on your way to work. Uh, while you're working out, if, if you're having trouble falling asleep, listen to my message. I will put you right to sleep, okay? And uh, you can go to bed thinking about this. But we talked about what it means to advance the kingdom. And here's how we're going to do this, by making disciples, loving our community, and strengthening the church. And we're going to unpack today what we're calling our focus priorities. We're going to unpack the first one, and that is the title of the message, Making Disciples. Champion Forest advances the kingdom by focus priority number one, making disciples. Now I want to show you some pictures as we get started, just share with you uh, maybe some stories along with these pictures that I hope will encourage, inspire, and set the tone uh, for you as to where we're headed today. This first picture is a picture of my great-grandparents. I never had the privilege of meeting them. They uh, died before I was born. I might have sat on Mama Lula's lap right there, but I certainly don't remember it. This is Papa Buford and Mama Lula. You know you're a boss if you have the name Buford and Lula, all right? <laughs> South Mississippi, from all that I know that my dad has told me, this was one great man. He was a contractor. He built the house that my parents grew up in. He built the church. Uh, that my dad was raised in. He was a member of a Southern Gospel Quartet. He loved the Lord. My dad is 78 years old and still uh, talks about the impact that this man had on his life. And uh, the last time my dad saw him alive, my dad was 15 years old. Papa Buford had leukemia. They knew he was dying. He went to get treatments. And my dad told me when they carried him off, he knew that was the last time that he was going to see him. And I think about this man's life, and I think about the echo effect, the ripple effect. Like, I don't know. I think it's safe to say, I don't know that I would be here today, a pastor preaching in a church, if my great-grandfather, who I never met, hadn't passed his faith on to his children and to his grandchildren. It's amazing uh, to think about. This next picture is a picture of a lady by the name of Joyce Shoebridge. I'm going to be at the North Klein Winter Huddle, which is a life group uh, gathering tonight of leaders, and I'll be at this one next week in Jersey Village next week. But I typically always tell the story of Joyce 
Shoebridge. Joyce Shoebridge, I, I looked everywhere for a picture of us together and couldn't find one. I mean, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. We didn't have cell phones, took a picture of everything that we did, chronicle everything, okay? Couldn't find one, but this was the picture of her obituary. She died back in May of 2017, and I went back and did her funeral. But Joyce Shoebridge was uh, an unbelievable woman. She took my Sunday school class when I was in the sixth grade. There was eight or nine of us, and she taught us every single week. She took me through the book Spirit, uh, Experiencing God, and she stayed with my sixth grade group all the way up until we graduated from high school. She was with us from sixth grade to twelfth grade. She was a no-nonsense kind of lady, and I can remember, I've shared this story before when talking about her, I, had a, I wanted to play football, that's all I ever wanted to do. And so I had this shirt that said, football is life, the rest is just details. And she saw that shirt, and she said, Jerry, what are you doing with that shirt on? Football ain't life, Jesus is life, get your act together. I mean, she let me have it. And uh, she, she was just, she loved the Lord, and she would call me in college, and after college, and she would pray with me and encourage me, probably didn't have a, a stronger prayer warrior in my life. Uh, than Joyce Shoebridge. Of the eight or nine of us that was in our little Sunday school class, the consistent ones that went, eight or nine of us, four are in full-time Christian ministry today. Uh, It's the impact of this lady. This next picture is a picture of a man by the name of Mike Fetchner. Now, when I think about impact and I think about influence to love Jesus more, to follow Him more closely, uh, I don't know of anyone that is more at the top of this list, maybe my dad, but Mike Fetchner. Uh, when I went uh, to Dallas on staff, uh, Mike was a successful businessman, and he sold home security systems. He was discipling a young man in the inner city of Dallas who was killed in a drive-by shooting, and it rocked his world. He ended up uh, selling his company, coming on staff at the church, and he started an inner city ministry. Uh, called His Bridge Builders, Hope and Salvation Bridge Builders. And I still serve on the board of that today, but no one taught me more about kingdom living. No one taught me more about how to pray and fast and to have a heart for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the least of these uh, than Mike Fetchner. He died in 2014. And I can tell you this, not a day goes by that I don't think about that man in some form or fashion and give praise to God for him showing me how to live the Christian life. Um, Mike, just a little, I considered it a God wink. Uh, I had never been to Champion Forest that I had been aware of. When I came to meet with the search committee for the first time, they were taking me on a tour of the church. And I, I don't recall ever being here, and I remember walking into our FLC And I remember walking into it for the very first time and my knees about buckled because I realized I had been here before only one other time. And that was with Mike when he was down here getting treatments for MD Anderson. I came to stay with him for a few days and he wanted to work out and we needed to find a place close to where he was staying. We were staying up here and I realized when I walked into FLC, my goodness, this is where I worked out with my mentor years ago. And I just considered it kind of a wink from God and an affirmation from Mike, because I certainly would have sought his counsel about coming down to Houston. Uh, I could give you two or three more people, four or five maybe, and I'm sure you could too. People in your life that because of their investment, 
you love Jesus more, you follow Jesus a bit more closely, your mind is on the things of God because someone took you under their wing and showed you how to live the Christian life. The question I want to pose this morning is not do you have those people in your life? We'll address that a little bit later on. The question I want to pose this morning is if I was to give somebody the mic, each of you the mic, to come up here and you begin to tell us three or four people, the question is would you be on that list of three or four people for anybody else? Would somebody put your picture on the screen and say, you know what, because of their intentional investment in my life, because of them meeting with me, I'm following Jesus more closely. Would anybody say of you, because they taught me how to study the Scriptures, how to take and apply God's Word to my life, they taught me how to love Jesus more deeply. Would anybody give your name? Would anybody put your picture up and with a grateful heart testify that they would not be who they are today as it relates to being a follower of Jesus without your investment in their life? This is what making disciples is all about. It is a focus priority of our church, and it should be a focus priority in our life. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18, you know the context. Jesus has died for the sins of the world, and he has been raised to life, demonstrating that he is God in the flesh. And before he ascends to the Father to assume his rightful place at the right hand of the Father, he gives his disciples what we know of as a great commission. Listen to what he says. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Great Commission. Now, I want to remind you here and highlight this, that this Great Commission was given to all disciples, to all of those who name the name of Christ, who have decided to follow after Jesus. This great commission is for you. It's not given to professional clergy. It's not given to seminary students preparing for ministry. It's not given to some SEAL Team 6 spiritual elite unit. This commission, this command to go into the world and make disciples is given to every single person that names the name of Christ. Like this is the question that should be ringing in our ears when we wake up in the morning. It should be on our mind when we go to bed at night. Am I making disciples? The question should be, am I doing the one thing that Jesus told me to be about when he ascended back into heaven? Speaking of questions, these focus priorities that we're giving this week and the next two weeks, there's a driving question behind all of them. And the driving question behind making disciples is this. I put it in the first person. When I stand before the Lord, will I be happy with what I have to present to Him? I mean, it's a reality. Every single one of us one day are going to stand 
before God. And according to the Scripture, we're going to give an account for our life. And the question I want you to ask is, will you be happy with, will you be proud of, in the most good and pure sense of the word, will you be happy, will you be proud of what you have to present to him? I said last week, if we're to have faithfulness stamped across our life, if we're to be termed as success, if you will, from God's standpoint, then what we do with the Great Commission is what matters most. Again, there's a personal element to this. You have to answer this question, am I making disciples? There's also a corporate element to this. I asked our staff this when we presented these focus priorities to them. Well, we as a staff, because one day we are going to give an account for how we shepherded this congregation. I'm gonna give an account for every word that I preach from this platform. And will our team, will our church, will our staff, will we be proud of what we have to present to the Lord. Paul referred to the church in Thessalonica as his joy and his crown. He was eager to present them to the Lord. Will we be eager to present what we've done with the people that God has given us to him when we stand before him? That means every ministry, ministry we engage in, every life group that we host on our campuses, every program we initiate, we should be asking ourselves this question, does this program, does this ministry, does this event, does it help make disciples? Like this should be the air that we breathe. It should be everything orbits around this question, are we making disciples? If it doesn't have an element of making disciples, then we need to step back as a church and say, should we be doing it in the first place? So let me give you a definition of discipleship. I'll put it on the screen for you. Now, a simple definition is just the act of following and emulating and listening to the one that you follow. That's discipleship. But let me give you a more uh, concrete definition. Here it is right here. A developmental process whereby believers intentionally pass on to others what they know have experienced and are learning so that others become more like Jesus. Now keep that on the screen for just a moment because I want you to take this in. You said, Jarrett, where did you get this? I made it up, all right? Here it is. A developmental process whereby believers intentionally pass on to others what they know, have experienced, and are learning so that others become more like Jesus. You see in this definition that how long you've been following Jesus doesn't matter. Some people say, well, I, I don't know how to disciple, or I don't know enough, or I'm not ready. I wouldn't know where to begin. Well, you start with what you're learning currently. If you're spending time alone with Jesus and his word, what you learned that morning can be passed on to somebody else. If you trusted Jesus yesterday as Lord and Savior of your life, you know enough to pass what you know on to others. You know why? Because you know that you were a sinner. You know that you needed Jesus. You know that Jesus could love you and forgive you. You know that you were saved by grace. You didn't do it yourself. You could take that right there and for four weeks meet with someone and talk about those four or five things right there. This is what discipleship is. It's intentionally passing on what you have learned to someone else in the context of a relationship, in the context of a friendship. This is discipleship. And I put intentionally in there because this is something that's purposed in your mind. This is something that you think about. This is a volitional decision that you make. Am I making disciples? I am going to make disciples. I'm going to pass my faith on. Now, the Great Commission involves 
evangelism, and discipleship. When you read the Great Commission, if you study any commentary, read any scholar on the passage, they're going to make use of the verb tense there, properly read. Verse 19 and 20 says, as you go, make disciples. As you baptize, make disciples. As you teach, make disciples. So the Great Commission is what tells us that as we go to the office tomorrow, we don't just go as a teacher or a coach. We don't just go as a businessman or a businesswoman. We don't just go as a contractor or engineer or a lawyer to do office at your work. No, as you go, you go on mission. And you're using your education and you're using your skill set and your talents. You go with a purposeful intent to be a witness for Christ. Because before disciples can ever be made, Converts have to be made. And the Bible says we are co-laborers with Christ. And so we live on mission. And once converts are made, as we witness for Jesus in the workplace and in our neighborhoods and in our homes, then we use that same acumen and talent and skills as a platform to make disciples. A few weeks ago, Paul Chitwood was here, the leader of the International Mission Board. And if you remember, he made a plea to you to say there are some of you that are retired from work that we could use teachers, engineers, contractors, because you can get into countries that are closed to preachers. And you can come in and use your gifting, use your education as a platform to share the gospel and to make disciples. But it's not just in the nations, it's here and now. Like when you go to that locker room tomorrow, that's your place of authority that God has given you. Are you going saying, Who am, how am I going to make disciples today? When you go into that office, how am I going to make disciples today? When you have that lunch appointment, is this an opportunity to share the gospel, make a disciple today? Moms, raising your children in the home, that's what you choose to do. Your responsibility is to disciple them, make them become more like Jesus. Dad, your job is not to raise an all-star. It's not to be on the best select team. That's great. What you're going to stand before God and give an account for your life is when that kid leaves your house, do they look more like Jesus than the day they were born? Do they love him with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength? Have you made a disciple? Discipleship. It's intentionally passing on what you know, have experienced, and are learning so that others become more like Jesus. I love that idea of passing it on. It's like a relay race, right? You pass that baton on. Somebody did that for you. Like, I can look at those pictures and say, man, each of those people and four or five more passed the baton of faith on to me, and it's my job to pass the baton of faith on to others. Paul said this, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. He said, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That word entrust there, it means to deposit for safekeeping. It's like putting something in a safety deposit box at a bank. When we get the gospel, somebody entrusted it to us. They put it within us. And it stays there. We guard the gospel and we make sure that we pass it on to others and that they in turn guard the gospel and they in turn pass it on to others. You get the picture? This is what we should all be doing, what we should be consumed with. Who am I passing my faith on to? Who is becoming more like Jesus because of my intentional investment in their life? And again, this isn't some program. This isn't some curriculum. 
Discipleship happens in the context of a relationship. This is not another Bible study. I mean, some of us could be Bible studied out. We have all this information, and our head is really big, but our heart is cold. Why? Because discipleship is life on life. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. This was Jesus' idea of discipleship. He combined the Greek model of discipleship, think Socrates, Aristotle, Plato. They would, they would ask questions to get you to think critically so that you could come up with an answer. And Jesus did this. Read the Gospels. He was constantly asking questions so that people would think, telling parables, drawing out, making sure that they would, they would think critically to come to an answer. The, the Greek model was, you sit still while I instill. I'm putting it into you. Jesus did that, but he combined it with the Hebrew model of discipleship, which was life on life. Jesus was a carpenter. Why? Because his daddy was a carpenter. He watched his daddy do it. He followed his daddy around. So discipleship is taught, yes, but it's also caught. Information without mobilization leads to dead orthodoxy. And nothing is more unattractive than dead orthodoxy. So I want you to think about this. I want you to answer this question. Who are you intentionally passing on what you know, have experienced, and are learning? so that they become more like Jesus. I'll put the definition on the screen again. It's a developmental process. That's important. It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. I can't tell you the number of people that I've walked with in a discipleship relationship that simply stopped showing up. They didn't, they didn't do the meetings. They didn't want to meet. It got old to them. It's, oftentimes it's a process, right? It's three steps forward, two steps back. It takes time. Look, Satan, he's going to do anything he can to distract us from this. He'll get us doing all kinds of good things. Man, we can be at the church seven days a week doing great things, but missing the one thing Jesus told us to do. Why? Because Satan doesn't want us passing our faith on to others. He doesn't want us teaching others to become more like Jesus. He doesn't want others to become more like Jesus. So he will distract us to take away from the main thing any way that he can. This is why we're saying we got to focus on it, it, make it intentional we got to be strategic on it. we got to make sure that we keep the main thing, the main thing. Can you list out two or three, four or five people? Can you list out one person that's becoming more like Jesus because you're passing on your faith, what you know about Jesus, what you've experienced as you've walked with Jesus, what you're learning as you grow in Jesus to them. One person. I want to say this with as much pastoral love as I can muster. When you stand before God, I can tell you the one thing that you're going to be the most proud of in the good and pure sense, is who you're bringing with you. People that you've led to Christ and people that you've made look more like Christ. Is there anything better? I mean, it's 1130, it's getting lunchtime. Is there anything better than a PB&J? I, uh, I consider myself 
an expert at making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. My kids know this. I'll just give you some pointers here. Uh, number one, you don't go cheap on the peanut butter, okay? None of that Target market pantry stuff, none of the Kroger brand stuff, okay? You go Jif, you go Peter Pan, you go Reese's, has a good peanut butter, although it's a little thick. And it doesn't matter if you go uh, crunchy or creamy, whatever fits, you know, whatever, whatever you're in the mood for that day. I, I, I like both. But there, there is a secret to making a good PB&J, and I'll just share it with you. Uh, first, you get the peanut butter, and you make sure that you get a great amount of peanut butter on it. For those of you that mix your peanut butter and jelly, you need counseling, all right? And so <laughs> this, there's something, there's something not right there. Um, but with this, you get your peanut butter, and you want to make sure that you cover every bit of the bread. There cannot be any white showing. And so, you know, a good knife will do this for you. And you just cover every bit of it to where there is no white showing. Now, depending upon uh, the style, I've got four kids. Some of them don't even eat these. I don't, really don't know if they're mine or not. So, uh, they, but the peanut butter, and uh, some like it thick, some like it thin. You just got to go to your liking, but you cover every bit of it. Then, uh, the best thing to do is don't use the peanut butter knife, all right, with the jelly. That doesn't work, okay? You want to use a separate utensil, and I, I choose a spoon because I just noticed that it spreads a little bit better. And uh, the only thing that I'm liberal with in life is my jelly, all right? I get really liberal with it, put a lot of jelly on there, okay? And that's the same thing. You spread it right here. And, and, and it's the same. You want a good mixture, and you want to make sure that it's covered up, and all pieces of the white bread or, are the same. Now, let me show you what I'm talking about and why I bring up peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with the Great Commission. Verse 18 says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. All right? That's your peanut butter. All authority. Jesus, when he died on the cross and was raised to life, uh, he demonstrated his deity. He, he raised from the dead, all right? That means he gets the say on our life. Whatever he says goes. Anybody raises from the dead, what they say goes, okay? He is God. And so when he says all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, that means we run the play that he calls, like the AFC, NFC championships today, okay? Those, those players are going to run the play the coach calls. Why? Because the coach knows what he's doing. He's in charge. He has all authority, all right? So when Jesus says, you go and make disciples, all authority has been given to him. We don't have the right to say, well, I think, this, I, I think we should do this over here. This should be most important. Or I think I'm going to go do this over here. This, this is what I think we should do. No, Jesus called the play. He has all authority. has been handed. That's peanut butter. That's verse 9, 18. Verse 20 is the, the greatest promise in all of the Bible. I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. So some people are thinking, you know what? I, I don't know how to disciple, but Jesus got the answer. He said, I'll be with you. Some of you are thinking, man, I just don't know if I have it in me uh, to disciple. Well, Jesus says, I will be with you. So you can, do, you can do it all. So you've got all authority's been given to me. We do what Jesus says. Verse 18, that's the peanut butter. Verse 20 is the greatest promise. I will be with you to the end of the age. And then right in the middle, you have this 
beautiful, make disciples, and it just is magic. You see that right there? It's unbelievable. It's peanut butter and jelly. Now you say, Jared, what on earth does this have to do? You know what? Really nothing. What it has to do, though, is every time, here's the deal. Every time you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich from now on, you know what you're going to think of? The Great Commission, and my point is across, all right? Now, here's the deal. So some of you are saying, how does it start? How do I start? Where do I begin? All right. Number one is this. Ensure you are a disciple. Like you can't make disciples if you're not a disciple. And so if you're here in this room today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've never followed him and made him the leader of your life, it starts right there. It starts with giving your life to Jesus. We've been publicizing this as Baptism Sunday, and we've got a number of people that we're going to baptize after this service. But I'm here to tell you, if you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ and followed him in believer's baptism, that is your identification as a disciple. That's what baptism is about. You are baptized because you are showing the world, I am a disciple of Jesus. It's like your driver's license. It's your identification mark. So in just a minute, I'm going to give an invitation. And if you've never been baptized, we're not going outside because that's going to get, you know, we're going in the waters right here at baptism, okay? And we're going to ask you to be baptized today. We got everything you need. We got the shirts. We got the shorts ready for you. You're going to get wet leaving here. You might as well come on and get baptized today if you've never done it. And so... You won't be the only one, but I'm telling you, this is where it starts. You can't make a disciple. Jesus, his first act before he began his earthly ministry was to be baptized. Why why did he do that? He didn't need to be baptized. Why did he do it? Because he was identifying with us. And therefore, when we get into the waters of baptism, we are identifying with him, and we are showing the world this is what we believe, and this is to whom we belong. And if you've never trusted in Christ, you say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. The outward expression of that is by getting in those waters right over there and saying to the world, I am a disciple of Jesus. So you need to ensure that you're a disciple. Secondly, I want you to pray for a disciple. If you're not currently discipling, and you say, where would I even start? Start with prayer. Jesus, in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, the Bible says he spent all night in prayer before he chose his disciples. He spent all night. It was so important to him that he spent all night in prayer saying to God the Father, show me who is to be my disciple. And so you begin praying, God, who is it that you want me to invest in? I bet there's one or two people right now in your mind thinking, I could could do that. And so what you do next is you select them. You select a disciple. And when you select that disciple, Jesus, he chose fishermen. He chose tax collectors. Who are you going to choose? Coach, it may be a, somebody on that team. Uh, it may be your family. I mean, that's where it starts in the core. I'm going to make sure that I'm, I'm pouring and investing into them. It may be somebody in your life group. I don't know who it is. But God's bringing somebody to your mind. This is who I am going to invest in. This is who I am going to share what I know, what I have experienced, and what I am learning. And listen, this isn't rocket science, okay? You don't, you, when you're selecting your disciple, please don't go up to him and say, you want to be my disciple? That's weird, all right? What you want to do <laughs> is you want to go to him, and you just want to say, hey, God put you on my heart this week. Would you be willing to meet with me once every other week 
and we'll read through a chapter of the Bible together, and we'll just talk about it. I'll talk about what God's teaching me. You can talk about what God's teaching you, and we'll pray for one another. And in the context of relationship, iron sharpens iron. You begin to share with them what you know, what Jesus has taught you, what you've experienced in your past. You'll be amazed how God will line that up, and what you've experienced is going to help that person that you're walking with. What you're learning as you're reading, and that leads to the fourth thing. Then you start instructing your disciples. You start molding them, and you always push them to the Word of God because it's God's Word that's truth, and you just start doing everything you can to make them more and more like Jesus. What's wonderful about discipleship is it stretches you. You tell that person to read the Bible, you can't with integrity show up if you hadn't read it. You ask them to memorize a verse of the Bible, you can't with integrity show up if you haven't memorized it. Discipleship is iron, sharpens iron. And listen, if you've never been discipled, you're in here, you say, Pastor Jared, I don't even know where to begin. I've never been discipled. And you're interested in it? Then I want you to text the word disciple. And you pray about it. Because when you say, I want to be a disciple, there's a cost to that. Like Jesus said, consider the cost. He said, if you don't renounce all that you have, this is Jesus' words, you cannot be my disciple. Like if I'm not preeminent, If I'm not the priority, you can't be my disciple. That's why he said, consider the cost. Nobody goes to war with an army that has more soldiers without first considering the cost. You don't build a a building and lay the foundation and never build on it. You consider the cost. Jesus said, you follow me. Doesn't mean your life's going to get easier. It may, in fact, get harder. So there's a cost to this. So before you text disciple to 77069, you consider, this is what I want. And if you've never been a disciple, you text that, and our team will meet with you, and we're going to pair you up with someone who's a little bit longer in the faith so that you can begin to walk with someone in a discipleship relationship. Our discipleship team came up with this next step books right here. It's six sessions. I'm taking a couple of high school students through it right now. I've taken people who've been a believer for no weeks at all and been a believer for 50 years. And it's just a solid foundation. And if you're interested... We're training people on how to use this. Again, it's not a curriculum. This is a conversation starter. It's so that you can do life on life. I started the sermon with some pictures and a story. I'll end it with some pictures and a story. This is a picture of John Potter. Dr. John Potter was an optometrist by trade and uh, had a second career as a PhD. He teaches conflict resolution at Southern Methodist University, a wonderful man, a great friend. By his own admission, about 10 years ago, 10 plus years ago now, he was an atheist agnostic, really didn't believe, didn't care to believe. They raised their children Jewish, his wife, Terry, wonderful person, great kids. And they were driving by uh, our church one day, and just like we have a sign out here that says when the services start, they saw the sign, and his wife turned to him and said, you know what, we should go in there. And he said, really? By his own admission, he'd never been in a church, but maybe five or ten times his whole life for a funeral or a wedding. She said, yeah. So they come in and they sit in a service on the very back row. And as they're leaving, his wife says to him, what'd you think? And he said, I liked it. I think I'm going to come back. And she said, really? And he did come back every single week. And he sat on the back row and he listened to the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. And one day I was given an invitation, just like I'm about to give here in a couple of minutes. And John came forward, and I remember him because he came up the steps. Nobody's ever done this before, and he said, I just want you to know I gave my life to Christ today. I thought, man, that's interesting. I mean, that's great. Nobody's ever done that before. And uh, uh, a pastor on staff met with him, called me, said, Jared, you need to meet with this guy. 
just hear his story. So I met him for coffee one day. Here John is, a PhD. He didn't know where the gospel of John was. And I said, John, would you want to start meeting with me every week? And we'll just meet together and we'll just go through a book of the Bible together and just talk about it. He said, I'd love that. So every Thursday at 3 o'clock, we go to a retirement community. We lead a Bible study at a retirement community. And then we go to a Starbucks because, again, it's caught and taught. It's in the context of a relationship. And we would sit at that Starbucks and we would go through uh, God's Word together. We made our way through different books and we would read a book together. This is his baptism you're seeing right here. He knew this is the step of faith that i got to take, the step that I'm asking some of you to take here in just a moment. You'll never regret following Jesus in baptism. Um, we still meet every Thursday, even after I've come to Houston. Every Thursday at 4 o'clock, we meet via Zoom. And we're going through Matthew right now. We're on Matthew chapter 27 this week is what we're reading in our time alone. And uh, we'll talk about it on Thursday at 4. And it's in the context of relationship. Here's a field trip that we went on. Again, John's a friend. He's not a project. And we took, went to Leonard Ravenhill's gravesite. Leonard Ravenhill's a revivalist that I read. And I wanted to see his epitaph. You can't see it on there, but Leonard Ravenhill, this is a small gravesite in East Texas. It says on the epitaph, is what you are living for worth Christ dying for? What a great question. And we just made a resolve right there that we're going to live for what matters. So I end with the closing question. The driving question behind making disciples. When you stand before God, are you going to be happy, proud of, in the good and pure sense of the word, what you have to present to Him? Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforce.org connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus, in person, on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.